On today's show, I have singer-songwriter Casey Ahern, and we're going to talk about her new single called Didn't Even Get a Goodbye from her EP, Where I Run. Uh, We're going to talk about her recent performance on Americana Highways, which I bet you didn't know I knew that already. And (laughs) hopefully uh, about Nashville, her hometown in California, and how that formed her and shaped her musical style. So welcome to the show, Casey. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, I do want to talk a lot about didn't even get a goodbye, but I couldn't help but notice last night you did a live stream on Americana Highways. Mm-hmm. Yep. So like a lot of people was- who can't perform live, you know, you guys are doing it online and I actually caught it because um, on their Facebook page, there's a recording of it. You, your guitar, acapella, and I really liked it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was nice to kind of be able to, you know, play my songs acoustically. Um, most of the time it's with a band up on stage uh, in person. So it was kind of a nice change, nice to, you know, share my music without being in person, I guess, right now. Well, you're good. You know, a lot of, I think, people who perform with an audience, they play off that energy, but it's different doing it just by yourself to the camera, don't you think? For sure. I think there's a dancer slash director, and she's done my past music videos, and I think a lot of that is from her yelling at me uh, (laughs) to have personality on camera. So I think I got used to it, but um, no, it's nice. It's it's a lot different. You know, you're not feeding off the energy of a crowd necessarily, so you kind of have to make your own in the room. Well, it seems like that's a skill a lot of performers are going to have to develop, you know, since so many of these concerts now are the artist and a webcam. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's crazy. <laughs> Well, I'd also say for people listening, I said acapella. You were you were playing with your guitar, so I guess that wasn't officially acapella. It's more like you said an acoustic set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which um, <laughs> I also I also have to say I'm, I'm so impressed that you did you know Americana because that is so in the air the past few years. This whole genre, and you seem to really mm-hmm. fall into that because you obviously have country influences but also pop and rock and it seems like americana is a really good fit for the style of music that you do thanks yeah it's i definitely i love country music love the stories that's the majority of what i listen to but i grew up kind of listening to a lot of the 70s singer songwriter stuff like Joni mitchell uh the eagles crosby stills nash and young so that's I think my dad had a lot of influence on me in that. So I think I pull kind of from that and then what's around me nowadays too. Now that was exciting to hear that. I think in your bio, you, you called part of that, the early seventies Laurel Canyon style. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> cause, Cause that I think, and I'm a little older than you, so I can still remember hearing Jackson Brown and the Eagles on the radio when they first came out in the seventies. Mm-hmm. which was kind of, it was a California sound, but it definitely had some country influence. Like you mentioned the Eagles and even um, something called like Cala country, you know, that 
to think, mm-hmm. I think everyone thinks that, you know, Nashville is the country capital, which it is, but, you know, there's pockets of country everywhere, even in California. And I'm just curious, yep. you know, was that pretty typical? Like, did you listen to country radio on California when you were growing up? Um, no, actually, funny enough, I, my dad, my dad was always a big Glenn Campbell fan too. So oh, nice. that kind of got me into country music more, but I really, I, I think I found it more so on my own, um, starting with Rascal Flatts and Sugarland. They were kind of, to me, like newer um, at the time. And I remember, I mean, I would wear cowboy boots to middle school and, uh, you know, in my hometown here in California, country was not a thing at all yet. Um, now it's definitely more mainstream, but I would wear cowboy boots and people would be like, what are you doing? What are you listening to? And so um, there's an old song and it's uh, like, I was country before it was cool. And I always re- resort to that lyric. And I'm like, you know what? I, I listened to it forever and I still love it. And, oh my know, God. Was, changed, but... was that an old Barbara Mandrell song? I think so. I think I forget who sings it, but I know it's a woman who sings it. Yeah, I was country before country was cool. Well, and the thing is, you know, a lot of people who don't know country think, oh, Taylor Swift, you know, crossed over and brought that. But that's always happening. There's always been, I think, a lot of country crossovers. Like you were saying, Glenn Campbell, you know, was a big one in the 70s. And who was it? Shania Twain in the 90s. So it seems like, you know, you're part of just a long line of, I, I think it's just the fact that, Everyone secretly loves country music. Uh, <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, I know to me it's the stories of the the music and the morals and, um, you know, everything about that, the, the lyrics mainly. So I think that's kind of what draws a lot of people to it, I think. Well, you're, you write most of your own music, it sounds like. So when did you first start writing songs? Hmm, I started... Well, I started when I was young, really little, writing, like, poems and stories. And then I kind of, once I started picking up guitar and singing, then I turned those into songs. So I think I was probably, geez, maybe, like, somewhere from around 10 when I, like, wrote, like, my first song, which I look back and it was nowhere, you know, not that good. But (laughs) um, that's kind of where I started. And I think... um, yeah, I think just with poems, stories, or turning them into songs. Well, it sounds like you were talking about your sister helping you and that she's also creative and, you know, in the arts. Mm-hmm. Was she someone you would share your early songs with? Like, would she critique you? Yes. Yep. See, um, she's definitely more strong-headed than me, which is a good thing, I think, because when we work together, it works out very well. But she's definitely not only my biggest fan, but my biggest critic too. So she'll tell me if I come to her with, Hey, you know, this is a chorus I just wrote or, Oh, you want to hear a new song? And she'll, she'll look me in the face and be like, okay, that sucks. That's, that's horrible. <laughs> like change this. And so it's good, you know, cause it, it forces me to be a better and stronger writer too. And isn't that important because criticism is always hard to take, but it's better mm-hmm. And, you know, always going unchecked because you need, I think, you know, strong people around you to tell you what's Mm -hmm. good and to tell you what to maybe tweak a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, my family overall, they've always been very honest with me. 
um, they're, they're very, very supportive, thank goodness, but they also are, you know, my biggest critics too. And they'll tell me if they don't like something or something sounds off, which I think has been helpful into uh, my development too. Mm-hmm. Well, nowadays, since people have such instant access where they can, you know, turn on the camera and put a song on YouTube, you know, and, and I love mm-hmm. watching those where people, it's just a camera, someone with a guitar, and they're doing covers or doing originals. But I think the thing that happens is, though, they realize, uh-oh, everything is out there, and it's out there forever. And maybe mm-hmm. you think, oh, I wish I had gone back and practiced that, or, oh, gosh, I wish I could have edited that. But I think that's part of the charm of that. We see things that aren't overproduced. And I think it was like your show on Americana Highways last night. Mm-hmm. It, there's just a lot of charming spontaneity to that kind of performing. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely important. I think, like, I cut my teeth kind of playing a lot of ven- live venues out here in um, Los Angeles, California. And I think by doing that before, I was doing that for probably a couple of years before I even went into a studio to record anything. So I think that really helped me um, hone in on, okay, what sounds good, what doesn't, but also bringing that live feeling to my music as well. Well, I was reading that, you know, when you do perform live, you're, you know, you've written so much now that you can perform all originals, but before Mm -hmm. that you were doing covers of other songs. And I'm always curious, you know, what were the covers you were doing? And, you know, were they, um, were you kind of sad that you gave those up? Because I always like it when, even if Mm -hmm. you have a lot of originals, I always like to hear a singer slip in like the songs that influence them. Yeah, we would do, when we did like a lot of the country bars, it was um, Before He Cheats by Carrie Underwood, just because everyone always loved that one. And even the guys knew it. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And then, and then we did Baba O'Reilly. We had on our set for a long time by The Who. Oh, The Who, um, yeah. Yep. So that was always our, we used that as our closer, actually, just because it was a heat, like, the big instrumental in it and um, a lot of people were kind of taken off guard by a country country band doing you know the who song um, that's, that's a real power music. song I mean that's mm-hmm. probably one where you just unleash on yeah yeah it was it was always fun and um, you know the musicians that I've been lucky enough to play with over the years always you know really got into it on that one and so it was just a lot of fun I think for us but also for the audience too. Do you remember the uh, the voice a few years back when that one um, singer duetted with that other guy and that kind of became their trademark, the Bob O'Reilly? Mm-hmm. I think that brought the song back so. to a lot of young people who didn't weren't even born when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I but, think that, like but that. that's what I like about your story is. You know, you seem to honor the stuff that came before you. And like a lot of people who would, you know, never dare listen to their parents' music. It sounds like that's a bond <laughs> you have with your parents and that you guys share music with each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think um, it's always it's always been around our house. You know, we have, um, you know, Ian didn't even get a goodbye. I actually mentioned it. Uh, Sunday morning radio playing. And that's that was a thing. We always had music playing. Sundays was always my dad's day off and so he would turn on um, songwriters um, little CDs he had and 
we just kind of listen and he'd tell us, you know, stories about even how he related to the songs and um, his childhood and what, it, what they remind him of. So I think that was always nice to kind of connect it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also, you know, one of your other more recent songs, Sunday Driver, which yeah. you know, is a very seemed personal and heartfelt about what spending um, Sundays going out on drives with your dad and your parents. Yep. Yeah. We'd, um, like I said, my, it was always my day, my dad's day off on Sundays. So we'd just hop in the car and go drive around, kind of find different adventures. And um, one of the lyrics is, you know, we found a castle in the Valley, not in Neverland. We were out in Apple Valley in California and we came across this, it was a castle and I guess they used it for filming. And my dad's the type where he just kind of has no boundaries. Um, so he like, you know, we drive onto it and they're, they're filming something and he's like, you know, he starts talking to the guy and um, it was kind of like, you know, the, there was his daughter, the guy's daughter was kind of like, uh, you know, a little lost girl from Peter Pan. And so I, you know, that's kind of where that lyric came from and just other adventures that we've taken on Sundays. Now that you're getting more prominent, are the people around you starting to think, "Uh uh-oh, when's Casey going to put me in her next song? (laughs) I I always wonder about that. Um, I think, you know, my close friends know kind of what a lot of my songs are about. Um, But then I always wonder, you know, even past relationships, I'm like, oh, I wonder if this guy thinks that this song is about him. And sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, sometimes it's just, uh, you know, an idea sparked from something else, but I always laugh at that. I'm always like, oh, I wonder if people think that I write, you know, a song about them or something. Well, in your song, Didn't Even Get a Goodbye, your latest single, mm-hmm. you know, it seems to work on several levels. Like, you know, it's about, oh, you know, that that lost chance or, or maybe thinking, wow, I may not get another chance to say goodbye to someone. You know, this may be the last time mm-hmm. I see them. But it could be a family member or like in the song, you know, like a boy you remembered in high school who went off to the military. And it it seems like on the surface, it's a simple, light song. But when you listen to it more, there's a real depth there. And it sounds like you really, mm-hmm. you know, attack some, you know, deeper emotions in your music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never I think that's one thing I never want it to be like just surface level. Um, when I write, I always make sure every one of my lyrics means something. And that one I think is just really, there's a lot of layers to it, but I think like to me, it's a lot of, you know, always being sure you tell someone how you feel about them because, you know, you never know when it might be the last chance that you do get to say goodbye. And have you had many people like that in your life where you didn't get that last chance? You know, I, I think so. I think I've kind of realized, um, you know, I, re- I wrote the song a couple of years ago, actually, and it was when uh, my neighbor went off to the military. Um, I remember that actually happened. I opened the newspaper, and on the front page was his picture that he took, um, you know, a local paper that he was going off joining the military, and I remember screaming to my mom in the other room, oh, my gosh, I never got to say goodbye, and that kind of sparked that and then I went to school in Boston for a little bit and that's the first verse my orientation class ran late and the next time I got to talk to my parents was they were in a cab headed to the airport 
And, um, you know, I think I've, I've realized that there have been times in my life where I wasn't afforded the opportunity to say goodbye to the ones I've loved. And, you know, and I think I used to do it to people too, just cause I would, you know, if I knew I was leaving, I would just kind of detach and just, just leave. Cause I hated the emotional part of saying goodbye, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, and through this song, I kind of realized that it is super important and it's actually a gift to be able to get that moment to say goodbye to someone. Well, I've seen the lyric video you just put out for that, but I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you, you know, do put out, you know, a full music video for it. There'd be so much you could dramatize, you know, based on the lyrics to the song. Yep. Yeah, we've, um, like I said earlier, my sister, uh, she directs and kind of conceptualizes a lot of, uh, or all my music videos that I've done. Um, we did one for Just a Dance, did the last one for Sunday Driver, and we have we were talking about doing a lyric, um, sorry, a music video for this, but kind of with everything shut down and, um, you know, the stipulations on everything we couldn't at the moment, but, you know, it's, we do have a plan for one if we get to be able to do it. I know that's another whole thing about all this is, you know, we hear about the TV and movies that have been shut down, but you never hear about all the music videos people were just about mm-hmm. to shoot that got shut down too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, luckily we were able to do a lyric video, so we have something, but it's tough. (laughs) It's something to tide the fans over. Well, you know, you're talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, the person you knew who, you know, went into the military. I could see, you know, military theme, or I can just see people, Mm -hmm. you know, who either have families or, you know, loved ones in the military or, you know, people in the military, maybe overseas, really connecting to this song. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I know, uh, you know, our neighbor, I know some some guys out in Tennessee when I was living there, and uh, they do a lot for us. So I think, um, you know, hopefully it, hopefully it speaks to them and their family members, too. Well, what's been the biggest response so far to this song? I mean, I, I see, you know, you can see comments on Facebook or YouTube, but what's some of the best direct or just unexpected, you know, comments you've received about the song? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny that you say that. I actually got a message from a girl today um, over Instagram, and she lives, I think it's in New, I think she lives in New York. And she messaged me and she said that, you know, she, that this song is just, kind of helped her through this tough time and, you know, thank you for putting it out. So to me, that made me really happy. You know, it's always great to hear that it, you know, that my songs affect people and that it touches them. A lot of people um, I think are, you know, going through a tough time right now and never did I two years ago when I wrote this, that this would be even relevant to what's going on right now, but it is for a lot of people. And so I think it, um, hopefully helps them get by and have something to, you know, something for them to listen to and warm their heart, but also pull them out of it a little bit too. So, you know, I had a friend who had um, his aunt was in a nursing home and she didn't pass Mm -hmm. away from COVID, but because of the quarantine, um, Mm -hmm. he couldn't see her and and she passed away a couple months ago, but Uh. he, I think would relate to the song because, you know, he didn't get that last, you know, I think physical chance to hug her Mm -hmm. or, you know, I I think that's the whole thing. And I think you even mentioned that in the song, you know, just to be able to, you know, Mm -hmm. hug someone that last time. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's 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 really tough. Um, I think a lot of people are are you know going through that with older family members who maybe not even relative to COVID, but that they can't necessarily see them, so they don't really get to say that goodbye. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about Nashville because I know you mm-hmm. grew up in California. You had a brief um, stay at the Berkeley School of Music in Boston. You went to school there and then back yep. to California, then to Nashville to cut the record and back to California now during the quarantine. <laughs> so you, mm-hmm. you traveled, you know, East Coast, West Coast, Nashville, but, you know, almost without fail, I know when somebody records in Nashville that it's going to be good. And I was looking at the credits and <laughs> the, even just the least, you know, studio musicians in Nashville are always, you know, have, have credits with all the, you know, the top Nashville stars and, you know, nobody mm-hmm. has bad credits in Nashville. So I just want to know, yeah. what was that experience like? You know, you go in the studio and you've got some really great people that you're recording with. You know, what was that like for you? It was it was something out of a dream, honestly. Um, I think that, you know, it was always kind of a, well, a dream to go to Nashville and record. And it was insane to see it come true and really um, let these songs come to life. The producers... Um, you know, uh, Nathan and Mark were my, were my producers on this, and um, just how they took these songs from rough acoustic vocal tracks to these produced, um, you know, songs for the CP, and the musicians were insane. They would come into the tracking room, and they would hear the song a couple times, look at the charts, and then just go in and play it almost straight through, just perfectly, and it was um, very inspiring to be around um, people with so much experience and amazing ears and very talented. And I honestly could not have done it without any of those guys. So I, uh, I appreciate them a lot. It was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Now, so your producers, you had mentioned uh, Nathan mm-hmm. and Mark, they're known as the Buzz Brothers, if, I, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. what's it? <laughs> So what's it like when you finally get people, you know, who are on board with your vision, who can, you know, I think they like what you're doing, but they can, you know, elevate it a little bit. They say, I I see what you're going for. Let me help you dig even deeper to realize your vision. You know, what was your relationship like with them in the studio? Mm -hmm. It was, it was good. They, um, they brought a lot to the table. They, uh, when we were tracking vocals, they would throw out something, you know, Oh, instead of this note, maybe go to this note or, you know, this phrasing, maybe change this up a little bit. And I think it really, um, helped emphasize a lot of the lyrics and really smooth out the songs, but they were also very respectful to, if I wanted to keep anything that I felt was, um, important to me as far as, you know, getting the song across or getting what I wanted across, um, they also knew that I didn't really want to come in and make these, you know, country songs that are too overproduced. And, you know, I wanted it to sound like basically it's a live band in the living room, um, you know, just playing a show. <laughs> um, so I think it was a very good relationship. They really brought out um, the best of not only me, but, you know, the song's potential too. 
You know, did you have all your songs prepared ahead, or were you also writing, you know, while you are in the studio? So I, for this EP, I had them all written ahead, and I would send um, Nathan, Nathan, it was Nathan Meckel and Mark Nemec were the guys, and I would send Nathan the acoustic vocal tracks um, to listen to before, and then we had two days of pre-production before going into the studio, so we met at Nathan's house in Nashville and kind of worked them out, you know, made sure the arrangements were how we wanted them, and that way we could give them to the musicians the day of tracking, and it would go a lot smoother, which it did. Well, we have to go back to the early 70s Laurel Canyon style, because I'm so charmed. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, you even know of that. Uh-huh. And, and you know, you know the Joni Mitchell, the Jackson Brown, the Eagles, you know, that you reference. And I think one thing that made that magical is that, you know, these people knew each other, that bands were you know, sometimes, hey, my, my friend Joni Mitchell's in the studio. I'm going to go in and play guitar for her. Or the Eagles, you know, started out, you know, working mm-hmm. with Linda Ronstadt. And there's a, such an evolution. Yeah. And, and I think if you're a performer or in a band, you're never going to be the same your whole career. You're going to be influenced mm-hmm. by your contemporaries. So I'm just wondering, being an old man now who's out of touch with <laughs> young people, is do you guys do that? You know, everything is so, oh, you know, let's just do it electronically. Let's, you know, do it over Skype. Do you feel a need to collaborate with other people and to also just form, you know, a community of your own contemporaries? Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's super important. I think it's, um, you know, it still happens. You have all the, the co-writes in Nashville. I've written with uh, some some guys out there that I've just met, um, you know, I played an open mic when I first moved out, moved out there at the Bluebird and ended up meeting a, a guy who plays the fiddle and uh, we ended up scheduling a write and, um, you know, we wrote something more, more in the minor key. So that was a lot different for me. A lot of my songs are more upbeat or more positive, like positive sounding, I guess. And so I think, you know, you do get, a lot of influences from those around you, whether you know it or not, even out here in LA, um, there's kind of a lot of eclectic type bands. So when I'm scheduled for a show, even at, uh, for example, the mint in LA, um, I do country music, but sometimes the ticket isn't all country bands. Sometimes it's, uh, very eclectic type music. And so listening to that, sometimes you get these pieces from other bands and other people around you that can influence your own music and help you develop as a songwriter too. Well, out of the current bands and singer songwriters out there, who would you most like to collaborate with? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, You know, I really, Hmm. I really think that I love how they're, they're more mainstream, I guess now, but, um, Old Dominion, they're a big country band. I think they're great writers. I think they write very cleverly. Their lyrics, um, you know, I really like this this band called Jamestown Revival. They're kind of on the upswing too. Um, you know, kind of. So a lot, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of good writers out there. <laughs> you know, that are hard to pin down, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, do you think like when you were doing covers and 
I still think you, you can always slip in a cover because the crowd loves that. It doesn't take away yeah. you know, from your new stuff. But I think people are always curious, you know, like what inspired Casey Ahern? But I think, too, don't you think when you do a cover, like say you do a Joni Mitchell song, you get inside her songwriting head when you're performing her music? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, you learn, yeah, you learn a lot about the artist and how they, how they phrase, like, for example, Joni Mitchell has a very distinctive phrasing in how she writes her music. Um, so I think, you know, covering songs and really studying other artists, new and old, you, uh, you can learn a lot. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot with this question. <laughs> I don't know why uh, Taylor Swift keeps coming into my head. I mean, probably because she's you know, one of the most successful, you know, uh, musicians of her generation. But she was mm-hmm. always known for you know writing songs about her boyfriends, you know, mm-hmm. or especially after you know she she dumped her, he dumped her, or however that worked out. Who knows? But it was all you know about her the end of her relationships with a string of guys, which is yeah. kind of you know. It's a fun thing to have a little thing like that, but I think the deeper thing is, you know, she, she's out there saying, hey, you know, I base my songs on real life things, which mm-hmm. is cool. But at the same time, you know, I think she's painted herself into a little corner too and, mm-hmm. you know, is, is so successful and commercial. It doesn't seem like she really has the ability to experiment as much as maybe she would want to. Like she's such mm-hmm. a, a big machine now. She just has to, you know, put out stuff that's, you know, very radio ready, very radio friendly. Do you do you think that, you know, that would be a trap? Do you still want to be at that point now in your career when you can experiment more and not just, you know, write about a broken relationship? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I never... I always want to, I always want to write songs that are true to me. And, you know, I tend to write, I do tend to write from real life experiences and if something doesn't feel right or something seems too mainstream, I'll usually change it, um, change the lyrics or change something about it. So I think, yeah, I never want to be able to, I never want to back myself into a corner. Um, you know, my dad always said that, you know, you can't, you, you're always able to think outside the box as long as you never crawl into the box. So I think that's very important to never, you know, pull yourself into this box, pull these boundaries tight in to yourself, no matter how successful you want to be. I think for me, as long as I stay true to myself, then I'm happy. And, um, you know, I hope that's what gets me to where, where I want to be in my career, where I can share it with, you know, share my music with countless people and, um, you know, be able to be on the road, but stay true to who I am. And, um, you know, I think that's, to me, that's the most important thing. Now you didn't stay there too long uh, in Boston when you went to the Berkeley school of music, not to be confused Mm -hmm. with Berkeley, California. Mm -hmm. That that always took me the longest time to realize Berkeley (laughs) School of Music was not in Berkeley, California. 
<laughs> but I love that daring thing. You know, you want to cross the country. You know, you put yourself into an East Coast environment, although I'm sure the school is mm-hmm. a melting pot of people from everywhere. You know, what was the yeah. importance of that brief time? You know, and especially for people, you know, listening to this, thinking they want to, you know, be a professional musician. And just the idea of putting mm-hmm. yourself out there in uncomfortable situations or outside of your home or your comfort zone. So what's it like Mm -hmm. to just plunge yourself away from family and friends into this melting pot of musical influences? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's tough. It's, you know, I can't say it's easy. Um, I kind of went out there on a win. I was 17 at the time. Um, I actually took an early exit exam from my high school and then, um, so I was 17 when I went to Boston and it was, you know, a whirlwind. I always lived in the same place in California, the same house even. And, but I think what was really cool is being around all sorts of different types of people. I think it really, I think it really opened my mind and kind of made me understand, okay, not everybody thinks the same or not everyone looks at everything the same. So it really made me, um, I think it made me a more empathetic person and allowed me to put myself in other people's shoes easier because, you know, everyone's different. Um, But it was also really tough being away from my very close friends, my family, and just kind of having to do everything on my own. But it also, you know, gave me more independence and made me really grow as my own person rather than someone someone in my family unit or someone in my friend group. As a songwriter, how important is it to you to have new experiences to draw from? Not that you can't spend a whole lifetime writing about, you know, growing up, falling in love, making your way in the world. But Mm -hmm. from an artistic standpoint, at a certain point, don't you welcome new influences? Yes, 100%. I think that's a huge thing is putting yourself there and just trying new things. Um, you know, anything that intrigues you, I think, you know, I think it's important to follow it. Anything that, you know, as long as it's not, you know, to harm to you, but, you know, as a songwriter, I think it's definitely important to experience new things and be around all sorts of different types of people because it changes your outlook, even talking to people. Sometimes you pick up new phrases, um, you know, on the East coast, they all say like, Oh, that's wicked. And that was never a thing on the West coast, but I caught myself saying it sometimes. And even little things like that, you never know, maybe it'll be incorporated into a song. Who knows? (laughs) Well, another thing is when, you know, you meet new people, they turn you on to new music. So I'm just curious, Mm -hmm. like say when you're out in Boston where people saying, Oh, have you heard of so-and-so or you're, you're telling them, Oh, you got to listen to old Jackson Brown. They're going, who? You know, were they you know, telling you, oh, you know, you got to listen to some Leonard Cohen or, you know, have you been turned on to any music where you just went, wow, I never heard of this person. I'm so glad you, you know, told me about this songwriter. Yeah, I think the group that I hung out with in Boston, so I was always into country music. So I think I kind of started to get them to listen to country music. I wasn't there too long, um, but my roommate was a big fan of metal music, which was a complete contrast from what I listened to my whole life. Um, Alice 
I think Alice in Chains or Alice Cooper and a lot mm-hmm. of these um, more like hard rock, heavy metal. And to me, that was never something I was into. I was always like, oh my gosh, okay, turn this stuff off. But now I can actually listen to it, appreciate it. And I actually met, um, you know, an ex-boyfriend a couple, like a year ago at a punk rock concert that I never would have been at if my roommate didn't tell me, you know, go listen to metal music. So I think it definitely influenced me, definitely influenced aspects of my life too. Mm-hmm. And it's also such a shorthand, you know, we always gravitate to people who already like exactly what we already like. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a lot harder to get into someone's circle if you, you know, don't already like the exact same things. But but on the other hand, a lot of times best friends end up being the ones where you're opposites. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, do you have any of those, yeah, those my, opposites people in your life? My my best, best, best friend, um, she never listened to country music, was uh, dragged actually to one of my shows by another one of my friends. Um, I met her through a mutual friend and she's like, Oh my gosh, why are you dragging me to a country show? And she ended up joining us at Stagecoach, and she ended up falling in love with country music. And so now she actually can listen to country music, but on the other coin, she listens to a lot of Latin music. Cause that's um, kind of where like her, you know, her dad's from Mexico. So now I'm listening to Latin music like Maluma or um, these other artists that she listens to. So that's definitely a contrast for me too. Nice. Well, you guys could meet halfway with what, what's the, um, I think Texas has a lot of country Latin blend uh, kind of music mm-hmm. down there. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe you guys could listen to some Selena together. Oh Yeah. <laughs> She was she was good. I like Selena. Well, we're not going to wrap up mm-hmm. quite yet, but before we move on to our final uh, chat, I just want to make sure that people listening know where to find you online and where to find your music. Cool. Yeah, so um, you can find me on – so my official website is Casey Ahern, A-H-E-R-N, Dot com and you can find me on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, whatever you listen to. I'm also on Instagram at Casey underscore Ahern. Same thing with Twitter. And Facebook is Casey Ahern Music. So I'm all over. Just uh, find me, friend me, say, hey, what's up? <laughs> and I'm, I'm there. And also tell me, I know that didn't even get a good buy is from your EP, Where I Run, has the whole EP been released yet? No, it has not. We were, um, you know, it's kind of been a long time coming. Just with everything up and down, we're not really sure. But I believe our plan as of right now is to release it uh, in the beginning of next year. So it'll be five songs, including Didn't Even Get a Goodbye, um, Sunday Driver is on it too, and Just a Dance, and then uh, two unreleased ones as well. That's something to look forward to, and it's just amazing, though. Mm-hmm. It's really only been two years since you got your first EP, which was He Was Summer. Yep. Does it feel like about yep. 20 years since then now? Yeah, it's crazy. It's um, I think I think it feels so long because I've, I've seen how I've grown as, um, you know, a singer, songwriter, artist. Um, I still love those songs, and I think 
I think it's cool to kind of look back and, um, you know, it's like having a soundtrack to my life, <laughs> um, you know, how I've, how I've grown and um, that time in my life, but it's crazy. It definitely feels longer than two years. Well, since you can't perform live, and I know you actually have performed in a lot of, you know, live venues around California, especially, that mm-hmm. um, your Americana Highways, I'm hoping, especially people, you know, who saw that last night, I think, wow, we want to book her. Um, do you mm-hmm. anticipate doing more live streams like that on other websites? Um, yes, I think so. We're, we're setting them up. Um, I did one for the boot a few weeks ago. That's, um, country, ma- uh, country magazine based in Nashville. And, um, yeah, hopefully there's, hopefully there's more coming. I might do one on my own Instagram too, kind of more, you know, personal Q and a, but you know, I love doing it and I love, um, I love when people tune in, ask me questions and, um, hang out. Well, I guess I want to wrap up with, and I don't know why, we have to keep going back to that early 70s Laurel Canyon thing. <laughs> but I just think it's so cool that, you know, you're from California, but you've embraced country, but also, you know, pop and rock and the music of your parents. And if you mm-hmm. had your wish, and you're probably closer to it than you realize, you know, what would you like to create that, you know, 40 years from now people remember in the way that, you know, we remember the that whole Laurel Canyon thing in the 70s, you know. Would you like mm-hmm. to be known for having created, you know, a new Southern California musical <laughs> movement? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, not maybe not so much locational, but more like the, the idea or the moral um, – kind of bring it like values. I think, um, you know, I think that can be missing a lot in mainstream right now. So I think bringing, you know, the morals back and um, that's kind of what I like to portray in my songs. And what I write is, you know, staying true to who you are, staying true to your values, having a strong moral compass. And I think if people get anything out of my music, um, you know, it's hope. It's hopefully those ideas and those morals. And I think I would love to create something that lasts through various music communities um, with different artists writing, you know, stuff that's true to them and that speaks to their morals and, um, you know, is not just surface level stuff. So I think if I could have something last forever, I think it's more, not even the music, but more the, more the morals and, um, you know, the values kind of that everyone hopefully can stay true to. So kind of like Laurel Canyon in the 70s, but without the drugs and depravity. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what that makes me think of, though, because you said it doesn't have to be, you know, bound to a location. Don't a lot of people Mm -hmm. now do that through concert events like, um, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I'm so out of it. I I don't want to say Coachella because that's such a, a... commercial free-for-all now but you know there's there mm-hmm. are some more intimate like you know the americana circuit i think there's some mm-hmm. really seems like there's some concert circuits or maybe even just you know an annual kind of concert that would align with with your morals and you know where you want to go Mhm. yep do, do you think that uh the americana is kind of the 
the great hope now of you know music out there that I think is very creative, has a very lot of talented people, but also mm-hmm. has maybe a, a more moral grounding to it. Yeah, I think like Americana, um, the genre of Americana, I think a lot of the songwriters and artists there seem to want to stay more true to themselves rather than trying to um, write, you know, or crank out these hits, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's, you know, I I listen to mainstream country. I absolutely love it. But I think um, Americana is more um, centered in that. So. And, I, again, I, I can't think of any of the modern ones. But remember um, in the 90s, which, again, was probably before you were born, but mm-hmm. do you remember uh, there was, like, Lilith Fair, and that was on the heels of, like, Lollapalooza. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like its own traveling, you know, concert, but with very like-minded people and with very um, uh, kind of like, you know, city by city, the lineup might change here and there. But I think um, kind of like that, it seems like, you know, if you're an entrepreneurial uh, singer-songwriter, if you also like organizing other people, it seems like mm-hmm. out there, someone who really wants to grab the reins and create just the kind of concert atmosphere that they would want to see themselves. And especially mm-hmm. if you have a, a, a cool sister who's into dance and directing <laughs> and choreography, would you ever see yourself you know, bringing musicians together and kind of crafting your own music festival? I would love to, um, you know, I've, I've been talking to my sister about that. We're very, um, you know, kind of reach for the stars types of, uh, types of kids, but, um, I would love to do a music festival with just, you know, artists that I think are extremely talented and, um, you know, really, uh, take pride in what they do and bring it to the people, you know, even like an outdoor type deal, um, you know, I don't know about right now, but eventually I think down the road that would be something that would be incredibly fun and uh, amazing to do. I can just hear the energy from your voice that it seems like you would you would have that 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 ability to persuade other people, you know, to get on board your idea. And as you know, in the creative fields and in business in general, you know, it's just so important to get people excited in what you're doing and it sounds like you really have that ability thank you yeah I think um, I mean I love it so much I I couldn't imagine doing anything else so um, you know I think hopefully that shines through and uh, when I talk about it when I talk about something that I love um, passionately well let's just wrap up and let you give the final word here and just you know to say to your fans and to future fans um, just some words of encouragement for the rest of the year and uh, what they can expect from you, you know, going into 2021. Cool. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's going to be probably a new EP. So it's going to be called where I run. If you follow me on the socials and everything, um, you'll be updated about it. And then I think if um, there's something I could leave you with, it's, Uh, You know, something pertinent, I guess, to right now is something my mom always taught me is that this too shall pass and that everything is only temporary. So, you know, feelings, um, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever it is, um, you know, it'll pass and you'll get through it and we'll all get through it. So 
just, you know, hug yourself, hug the ones that are around you right now and, um, you know, stick with it. You're stronger than you think. Well, her name is Casey Ahern. The new single is Didn't Even Get a Goodbye from the upcoming EP, Where I Run. Really enjoyed talking to you, Casey, and I just wish you uh, much success with your music. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. 